1: Welcome into Locked On Knicks, another episode, another guest. If you were tired of hearing just me and Alex, uh, that hasn't been an issue for a while. We've been getting a lot of great people, and that continues today. Leva Cabas, a data reporter at Sportico, formerly of the New York Times and Slam magazine, a friend of mine going back to high school, Alex. And the format's a little different today. We talk about the seven most interesting players in the NBA bubble.
2: Yeah, and of course, I I take it very Nixie and you guys look a little more just into the NBA itself. But we talk about some some very interesting players, Giannis, whether he's ready to take the leap and, you know, potentially make his first finals appearance. If he has enough talent around him, if he's evolved his game enough, Uh, I bring up Carmelo Anthony and just that I'm intrigued to see how this slimmed down version of him goes and also just that whole Portland team in general uh you bring up John ja Morant you know which was kind of depressing that was a nice depressing discussion about how he could have been a nick if the lottery balls had gone slightly different uh Al Horford which is a real interesting one uh Lev brings up and a, a number of other players uh some with some nicks angles some without but really fun discussion all around uh and yeah it's it's a great episode so tune in in just a moment and we'll get right into it on Locked on Knicks
3: You are Locked on Knicks your daily New York Knicks podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. He starts.
3: Without a five. going from the rim. Yes. Thompson tucks left. Now fires a three. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three.
1: You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. As promised, we are joined by Lev Acabas. He's a junior data reporter at Sportico, previously interned for the New York Times and Slam Online. We went to high school together. He is friends with Mike Breen, and we definitely didn't record 10 minutes of the podcast without recording it. Lev, thank you so much for joining and tolerating my mishap.
3: No worries. Um, you know, as I I did this podcast, I think, a couple of years ago, and no better time to be back than right when the season's starting up again.
1: Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. The, the first time you were on, it was it was a thrilling moment in my podcasting life. It was the first week, I think, that I was ever doing the podcast. Alex, you, you had your wedding that week, which was still just incredible timing for you. I'm sure that had to be an exciting combination, so we got Lev on to talk. Nick's been waiting to have him back since. He's been waiting at the phone to get that call that he's tapped up to the majors and he's back. And we're, we're going to have a little bit of a unique format because of that. We're going over the seven guys that we're most interested in in the bubble. And we're going to try to tie each of them in to the Knicks. I'm not sure if there's inherently an angle for each one, but one there definitely is, is our first guy. And Levitt's a player that you picked Giannis Antetokounmpo, the guy that the Knicks almost based their entire coaching hire off of recruiting my my big question with him is what's different about him this year obviously statistically very good in the playoffs last year but faltered a little bit against Toronto's defense and particularly Kawhi Leonard do you see anything different in his game this year that that you think will allow him to have more success in the later rounds with the obvious qualifier that he was still very very good last season
3: yeah I think you I think you put on a lot of the big points here I think one of the biggest differences his game this year is just his willingness to take threes um, just to shake it up for the defender and add another angle to his game. He's not actually hitting them at a terrible clip. Um, You know, you've seen some of the memes of his air balls, but he hits it at a decent percentage. And he's the fact that he's willing to take them gives him the opportunities to drive maybe a little bit more than he did last year. Although his issues in the playoffs last year, I think mostly came down to inability to hit guys out of the double team with speed. Uh, the way that the Raptors were defending him, they would build a wall around him and they would force him to make quick decisions and hit open guys. And he just was a hair slow on all those decisions. And now that he's seen that before in the playoffs, I think he'll be better equipped to handle it this year.
1: I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. And I, I don't know, Alex, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on it, too, because my read on last year was obviously there were areas for him to improve, but I thought it was more so Milwaukee's supporting cast and their inability to hit big shots at big times. If you remember, they essentially had Game 3 in Toronto one last season. They had chances at the end of regulation, overtime and double overtime, to take that. And guys like Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, Nikola Mirotic just consistently couldn't make open threes that Giannis was generating for them. And I think the system that Bud's divided, Buds devised is pretty ingenious in the sense that if guys are making those shots – there's essentially no way to guard it because Giannis is such a force at this point. E- even someone like Kawhi Leonard can't really take him one on one. And now that Kawhi Leonard's out of the conference, I, I just think if Milwaukee hits their threes, they're not going to lose. A- and if they don't, it- it'll get kind of interesting.
2: Well, it also helps that Giannis is now shooting the three better himself and on higher volume. Like, I mean, it's he shot thirty and a half percent this year, which by and large isn't great. You know, that's not what you're looking for from you know, a good three-point shooter, so to speak, but I mean, he took like five attempts per game and managed to hit that clip, and it's enough now that I think teams have to actually respect his three-point shot, which opens up other parts of his game, obviously. I mean, he he still managed to shoot like 55 percent overall from the floor this year um, on 20 attempts per game, which is like huge volume, Uh, you know, scoring almost 30 points a game. It's, I think that, I think that adding just that little bit of gravity to himself, you know, going from going from shooting twenty six percent on three attempts per game from three last year to thirty and a half percent on you know five attempts per game this year. I, I think that helps Giannis overall with his game and, and helps generate those I mean he's he's he was generating looks for everybody last year. He's continued to do it this year, but yeah, like to your point, some of the guys seem to just be even better this year as well. I mean, you had George Hill shooting like legitimately almost fifty percent from three yeah. over the course of the whole season. I mean, these guys are—it's like a well-oiled machine. I, I think, to your point too, without without Kawhi standing in his way this year, I I can't really see a team that's going to legitimately, you know, be a problem for the Bucks this year. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see if this is sort of a uh, if this little uh, first the you know the few regular season, quote-unquote, seating whatever games, and then going through the playoffs, is this is sort of like a, a coronation for Giannis to, like, finally take that step up from being not just the MVP, but someone who can really carry a team in the playoffs. And, you know, even if it only leads to a finals appearance, I think that that goes pretty far towards validating, you know, Giannis is arguably the best player in the league, um, you know, and at the very least, you know, considering as a, him as a real title threat.
1: Yeah, I guess, Lev, to that point, would you take Milwaukee over the field right now in the East? Because statistically, it isn't close. Milwaukee's on track, essentially, when the season stopped, to be one of the 10 greatest teams ever. I think in terms of net rating, they were top two or three all time. And I, I just get a sense that there's a feeling around the league that the gap Isn't actually that wide, and teams like Toronto and and Boston, if Kemba Walker are are fully healthy, those series would be a little bit closer to toss-ups than some people think.
3: Yeah, I think I think you've uh, you've hit sort of on the the feeling around the league. I've found that to be true with people I've talked to as well. Um, But if you look sort of historically, just expounding on the point you made, if you look at their the top 15 teams all time in terms of margin of victory in the regular season, which this season's Bucs are among that group, 13 of those 15 have gone on to win the title. The only two that didn't were the 2016 Warriors, obviously with the barely losing Game 7, and the 2013 Thunder, who had the Westbrook injury in the first round. Otherwise, every single team in that group has gone on to win the title. Um, so I think something that people aren't really getting is that it would basically be unprecedented if this Bucks team this year did not win the title. Um and I think going back to last year, you mentioned the, the cold shooting of some of the Bucs players that were not Giannis. Um, likewise, Toronto got ridiculously hot in that, sh- in that series. Uh, Van Vliet shot over 50% from three, I think. The team as a whole was close to 40% from three. So I think you can look at last year and see how close the Bucs were, see if they've gotten better this year. Um, and, and that does make them pretty overwhelming favorites.
1: Um, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, let's, let's make it a little more directly about the New York Knicks. Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA after a year off, uh, with the Portland Trail Blazers. came back, was mostly playing power forward. And, and now the Blazers front court is actually healthy. Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins back in the lineup. will bump Melo down to the three. He, he came into the bubble looking like he was in maybe not the best shape of his life, but certainly in years, like really, really skinny. Um, maybe you'll get some of the hoodie mellow effect now that they're playing in a closed-off gym with, with no fans in the arena. Uh, Alex, he, he was one of the guys that you picked. My, my sort of big question with him is, does he sort of have a signature playoff moment left in him? Could you see him just busting out for 30 points in, in one of these games? Or do you think he, he's fully embraced that complementary role and, and he'll help Portland just by being a floor spacer?
2: Yeah, I, I guess... That remains to be seen. I'm surprised we're not adding the, the Knicks angle of Giannis about how... Uh, if he, <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I got there is it. no Knicks angle with Giannis. Yeah. It, I know some people are going to be legitimately looking for him to like, shit the bed and for the Knicks to be able to uh, somehow snag him, though.
1: Wait, can uh, I just throw a very, very quick interlude? I don't you know. Go. You guys see on Twitter, I think it might have been um, butum who posted about it, but there was... I. Don't know where the article is from so this isn't very good journalistically but i think from a credible site someone was writing just hypothetical Giannis trades for each team and the next offer was like mitchell robinson kevin knox uh dennis Smith jr and both dallas picks which is just i mean the it was, idea it was like,
2: even worse It was the clippers pick and next year's dallas pick that yeah. was
1: insane oh my it's god I was, I, there's
2: I mean, no just, universe <laughs> Yeah, the idea
1: yeah. that the Knicks wouldn't have to throw in five first-round picks and RJ Barrett—one, it would never ever happen, but two, like just the idea—they're like, you know what? I think Mitchell Robinson—and look, this podcast loves Mitchell Robinson maybe more than his own family—but that's that just felt like insane to me.
3: Yeah, Knicks, Knicks fans also think they—they they probably still think they have Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and Zion right now, so.
1: I don't even think it was a Knicks fan who wrote it. I think it was like a credible national site was like the Knicks. Knicks, I think it was
2: Bleacher Report or something. Okay, well, so maybe not credible, but national. Yeah, Yeah. halfway there. Yeah, halfway. Yeah, right. Recognizable, if not credible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Big name in media.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, At any rate, to get back to the topic at hand. Yes, Carmelo Anthony. I'm I'm intrigued. Um, It's maybe me getting myself set up for what sounds like is going to be his Nick's, uh, you know, reunion, goodbye, whatever tour next year. Um, I, I think my general way that I'm looking at the NBA bubble is almost like how I look at the NCAA tournament every year, uh, which is I'm here to watch some hopefully good basketball, you know, as of right now, I'm, I'm just enjoying the fact that it seems like the NBA has, it seems like the bubble's working. Like they've had two straight rounds of no, positive um COVID tests, you know, which is awesome. And uh, you know, unfortunately it seems like baseball is probably on its way out. Uh who knows what's gonna happen with football because they have no plan. So this might be my only sports for like the rest of this year. So I'm looking forward to just watch some good basketball, but I'm also here to scout some guys, you know, that I would potentially want to see on the Knicks, which is how I usually approach the NCAA tournament. I'm like, oh basketball is cool, but I want to find someone that I that I want to latch on to, you know, for the draft or whatever. In this case, I'm looking at guys that, you know, I I think the Knicks might look at in free agency or something like that, which I kind of do sometimes anyway with the playoffs and whatever. It's usually, you know, usually with during the playoffs, I have the draft lottery to look forward to and the draft and all that other stuff. So it's kind of everything exists in a vacuum right now with the bubble Um, at any rate. So Carmelo, I mean, I only saw really a a few games of his this year. Um, You know, the two Knicks games kind of told two different stories where the first one he tried to do a bit too much, uh, shot five of 13, you know, didn't really have a great game, but the Blazers still won. The other one at Madison Square Garden, he had like a vintage mellow performance, 26 points, 11 to 17 shooting, but the team got destroyed, which was more on the fact that Damian Lillard couldn't make anything that day. But, you know, I I digress. Um, I'm really just intrigued to see like how much he has left in the tank. Uh, particularly with a playoff push here, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Gavin, as you alluded to, if he can tap into these sort of old school mellow and which he has a few times a season scored over 30 points, you know, um, see if he's got that in him to really make a playoff push with this team. You know, I, I, he won't have to be the, the number one option or even the number two option, or maybe even the number three option a lot of nights with Nurkic coming back. Uh, But I think that he's got it in him to potentially, be a number one option type if he is having a really good night um and, and you know i i just think there's I, I i think like the skinny mellow thing i i want to see how that works out as well you know he dropped a lot of weight from what it looks like which if you watch some of his his videos it, it seems to be adding to his explosiveness again like it seems like he's got more ups right now with having less weight on him uh, but the other thing is I wonder how that's going to affect the power part of his game, which has always kind of been a staple like being able to back guys down in the post to create a little separation for that, you know, turnaround jumper or whatever um, his rebounding ability, which I think has always been really underrated for mellow uh, is pretty power-based. The fact that, you know, he's smaller than a lot of these guys down on the block, but is able to still kind of body them. I wonder if that's going to be affected by him losing the weight. Um, so I guess we'll see. We'll have to see if it's, Functional weight loss, you know, where he still has that strength, uh, or if the weight loss makes it so that it's a little harder for him to do that. But, you know, it, if the weight loss actually did add to his explosiveness and that sort of thing, you might see a situation where you could viably put him at the three and not have him get destroyed from that spot. Um, you know, if they wanted to play like a Nurkic and Collins lineup or something to go a little bigger, you know, you can maybe do something like that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it with Melo. I also, I mean, I guess my last note is I desperately need the league to let Mark Berman in on the post-game Zoom call. Uh, Lev, if you're not familiar, the, the beat reporter for the New York Post for the Knicks, because I just need that direct are you going to the Knicks question to be posed to Mello because <laughs> Berman always will just straight up ask that and then end the press conference right there. <laughs> um, so I want to hear that. I want to see that. And um, yeah, I don't think it's, entirely likely either but I, I'm also just intrigued by Portland I want to see them coming guns blazing and you know if they can snag that eight spot I think it'll be fun to see them potentially give the Lakers a run for their money so sorry that was a little long-winded but that's where I'm at with Melo I I, I think more than just Melo I'm intrigued by Portland too so I I want to watch them but I'll, I'll probably keep pretty close tabs on Melo since he's a legitimate Knicks target coming up yeah,
1: Love, what's what's your take on the Blazers? Because it feels like, myself included, the whole NBA is, is either rooting to see Zion or, uh, spoiler, someone who will come up later in this podcast, John Morant, uh, take on the Lakers. But there, there's some, some idea. I know uh, Chris Haynes uh, threw this out there at, at one point that Portland, in fact, is the team that could give the Lakers the biggest challenge in the first round.
3: I mean, I think just given the star power uh, of Damian Lillard and then also CJ McCollum had a terrific performance throughout the playoffs last year, including the 37 point game seven against Denver. Um, but Nurkic coming back they're they're definitely up there with any other team. I do think that their supporting cast is noticeably weaker than last year. Um, and so last year they had playoff moments like game four against the Nuggets, where it was like, Oh, Rodney hood. Look at that. He's, he's scoring points. I don't think they have as many guys this year who can make that kind of impact in a playoff game. Bello uh, would be one of them though.
1: Yeah. i um- i'm with you on that I, I could i could see him having some really good offensive games my concern and and alex you you touched on this uh, is how is how is he gonna hold up defensively at small forward I, I like the idea of him guarding stretch fours more i think that was a little bit more manageable for him And just the notion that in the playoffs, teams are going to aggressively target him and put him in pick pick and rolls essentially as often as possible. That is certainly something to watch. Uh, Alex, you you have to dip out a little bit earlier because uh, Tom Thibodeau is going to have his opening press conference as the New York Knicks head coach. And you're covering that for Knicks SI. But before we let you go, uh, who's the final player that you want to touch on and and you're looking at in these uh, playoffs?
2: Yeah, I got to love when real world gets in the way of podcasting, like basketball events making me so I can't uh, talk about basketball on a podcast. Um, <laughs> that, that's when you know you've made it. That's I mean, yeah.
1: that, that's a sign of success, I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, so, yeah, my other one is another another OCAC, uh Once the Nick, always the Nick. But it's little <laughs> Gallinari, who's another potential could be possible future Nick. Um, obviously, he's going to be a free agent this coming off season. I think. I mean, I know, Gavin, I know you're a huge fan of Gallo and potentially bringing him back. Um, I am as well. You know, if the price is right, if they if they could work out like a high price, like one plus one type deal, something like that. I think he's definitely a great target for the Knicks uh, because he'd give a stabilizing veteran presence. He would finally give them a shooter with gravity uh, and like real three level scoring ability, too, which would be great. Uh, You know, I, I think. I think that he's probably put up the two best years of his career these last two years at his age 30 and 31 season. So I I also have very little reservations about uh, potentially signing him. But, like, I just want to see, there's a few things I want to see. Like, one, I want to see that he can make it through the bubble unscathed. Uh, He has really serious injury concerns. Um, It's, like, the only bad thing about Gal's career. Like, otherwise, he's strung together a really, really solid career, I think. But if he manages to play every one of the, these, like, final eight regular season games, that would give him the second highest percentage of games played ever in his career uh, at 87.5% of the, the total games this year. His previous tie was 81 out of 82 games, and that was all the way back in his sophomore season with the Knicks. Uh, since then, he's averaged out, I mean, usually in the low 60s, uh, sometimes in the 50s, sometimes even lower than that depending on the season, which, you know, if that's it, part of why I don't think I'd want the Knicks to lock him up long term at all going into his, you know, into his mid thirties, just because of the fact that I think he's very fragile and that probably won't get better with age. Although I guess we'll see. Uh, maybe he'll be like a Grant Hill that suddenly becomes yeah. super durable and plays till he's 40. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also, I got to go to the game, the OKC game at the garden this year uh, for SI and, see him in person there and uh, otherwise i haven't seen a ton of okc this year so i want to see you know i want to pay special attention to how he plays with that uh shade G- Shea alexander dennis Schroeder chris paul lineup that the the thunder have run out there because i i think that if he would come to the knicks there could be some times where they would potentially run a lineup that would maybe be uh Whoever their lotto pick is, who I assume be a point guard, let's say, optimistically, like Lamella Ball or something. Uh, and then, like, Frank Nilakina and RJ Barrett, or if they end up trading for Chris Paul, you know, you could potentially have something where it's like the lotto pick uh, CP3 and Frank Nilakina, along with Gallinari and like Mitchell Robinson or something. And, you know, you could sort of say that Mitch and Steven Adams are, in some ways, a little bit analogous in the in the sense that they're, you know, mostly just inside threats, defensive anchors, that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I'm intrigued to see how that goes, you know, and I wanna I wanna pay special attention to that. Um, I also just want to see how much gravity he has as a shooter, because I, I don't think the Knicks have had a shooter with legitimate like three point gravity in like forever. I don't know. I mean, since like Steve Novak maybe. I, I mean, Melo was also like had actual gravity at three point line where teams would actually guard him, but. I feel like it's been so long since they had a three-point shooter that you would actually take seriously out there, even when they tried to sign them. You know, they those guys wound up having, like, career-worst years, like Wayne Ellington. Um, so I want to see how that goes. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I'm also just sort of rooting for OKC, in a way, in a similar way that I'm rooting for Portland. They're just both kind of the underdog teams, and I like them. I think it's hilarious that Oklahoma City was supposed to be, like, rebuilding this year and is already locked in a, a postseason seed in the West and could potentially see themselves, I think, go as high as like four, uh, if everything shakes out well for them. So that's kind of funny too. I'm just I'm looking forward to watching OKC. I think they're a pretty fun team.
1: Yeah, they're they're one of my favorites as well. And I just I love how they've punched above their head all year. Chris Paul, nominally supposed to be quite a bit past his prime, had arguably an all NBA First team, he's probably going to end up on second team caliber season, but he was that good, the best clutch player in the entire NBA. Uh, The combination of him, Schroeder, and SGA, the best three-man lineup in in the entire league, which is crazy considering some of the big threes that other teams can throw out there. And and I think it's underrated how essential of a part Gallo was of that, his ability to play the four and and, and hold up defensively and, and then offensively, the diversity, he he brings to the table, I I sort of think he's everything the Knicks potentially wanted out of Julius Randle, not in that they're similar players particularly, but in terms of impact at the power forward spot. And and unlike Randle, he would actually give it to them. Lev, do you see him as a a good fit on on the Knicks this year? And then maybe if if you're interested in doing so, you can get a little into what you think the Thunder's upside is in the
3: playoffs. Yeah, for the Knicks, I think think it's a solid signing. Uh, Definitely someone who would be popular with the with the home crowd, I think the injury concern is real. Uh, you know, you want guys who are going to stay on the court, and and especially these guys who have chronic injury problems. It, it sometimes just sort of stops at a certain point in, in their early to mid 30s. Uh, so that's a concern. But as you said, he's he's been healthier this year than he has been in the past, um, and he's just he's just a really good player. I think I think underrated. Last year in the Clippers, you know, they were there's a lot of talk about Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, but they were able to make the playoffs and give the Warriors a run without an all-star, and Gallo was a really big part of that. So he, he's just he's just an elite player. He's he's one of the top 50 players in the league um, by almost all measures.
1: I don't think people appreciate how, how good he is driving to the basket. He was sort of earmarked as a shooter early in his career. I, I went back, uh, because we had four months of quarantine, and watched a lot of his early Knicks highlights and he really got out in transition and, and even into his thirties with all the injuries, pretty explosive. A guy in the Clippers last year who averaged almost 10 free throws per game, very crafty, really talented scorer. Uh, and I think uh, the advantage he has versus guys like Davis Bertans and, and Joe Harris, who the Knicks might also look at to bring some spacing is that he's a credible um, on the ball option and creator in a way those guys aren't. And arguably, if he was on the Knicks this year, I actually don't really think there's any argument about it. He would have been far and away their most talented on the ball player. Anyways, Alex, we we have to send you off. You have a press conference to go cover. So we'll take a break here.
2: Actually, Gavin, as it turns out, I don't have to go for a press conference. It is very limited availability, and I'm not part of it. So I'm going to be catching up with that in a little bit. So I do get to stick around. First, though, uh, start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today hosts... Nyla, Boodoo, and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world with Axios Today. And also a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. I don't know if you haven't heard of rockauto.com yet, but you should have because I've been talking about it enough. If I may remind you, I am what I might call a YouTube mechanic, which means that I do stuff at home and i uh you know basically don't know that much about my car by and large but i'm good at following instructions it's kind of like cooking you know so i go and watch my youtube videos learn how to do stuff on my car but the general experience of going into a into a brick and mortar auto parts shop is not quite so friendly as sitting at home on youtube and learning things at your own pace you're often asked a whole bunch of probing questions you don't really know the answers to uh, they put you on the spot, and you, you, know, you end up stammering over your words. And then maybe they order you something, and it ends up costing a lot more than you thought it would because they give you the part that is going to make them the most money from whatever brand. And also, they you know these big auto part stores don't give you the same deals that they give mechanics. That's a problem. That's where rockauto.com comes in. You can go on rockauto.com super easy to navigate at your own speed you know again if you're if you're a home mechanic like me that's extremely important to be able to sit there and ponder each decision and stuff like that Uh, basically when you go to rockauto.com you're going to see a list of every make of car that you could think of click on your make then you click on the year then your model then your trim package and then there's just an easy to get through list of all the parts that you could ever need for your car i am going to be replacing the tow package on the back of my Subaru Forester soon because I was an idiot and left my ball hitch in and it got totally rusted shut in there. So I kind of need a new one so I can have a bike rack uh, because I bought a bike rack that I now can't use, which is not great. So I'm gonna be doing that repair soon and I'm definitely gonna be purchasing my parts through rockauto.com because I check the prices versus everywhere else and they're indisputably less expensive, which definitely works for me. So if you want to check that out and see if rockauto.com has the right parts for your car, which spoiler alert, they will go there right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to make a purchase, please write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right,
1: we are back on locked on Knicks. Next guy up, seven most exciting players in the NBA bubble is a guy painfully the Knicks were just one spot away from taking in the NBA draft, and that is Ja Morant. And I feel like his rookie season is somehow still being a little bit underrated by the world. And it makes sense because Zion Williamson came back and set the NBA on fire and was almost immediately one of the top 15 to 20 guys in the league, but I don't think Morant is too far off from being in that conversation. He's precocious in a way that you're seeing more and more for some of these young ball dominant guys in the league. I think of Luca, I think of Trey young just in the, in the way that he conducts offense. And I'm so impressed for someone who's so ridiculously talented. He's this unique combination of slithery, Bouncy while still being really smart and and a surprisingly high level shooter, 37% from three, his first year in the NBA. But he doesn't force anything. There are times where he'll break down a defense by himself and set up Jaron Jackson for an alley oop or or kick out to one of Memphis's shooters. And and then when he gets trapped, you, you see so many times in those situations, rookies tend to force the issue and try to do everything themselves. He's totally content just kicking off a a sequence of ball movement around the perimeter and and just trusting that his teammates will be able to anticipate the next pass and and take advantage of a scrambling defense. I I was trying for the sake of this exercise to think of a comp for him because he's just sort of a little unique in, in that he's this skinny dude, but insanely explosive and such a smart passer, at the same time, I, I was thinking there's a little bit of Baron Davis there with his combo of athleticism and plus shooting. But BD was he's a little bit bulkier, and I, I don't think he was quite as quick on the dribble as Morant was. The closest thing I got to was actually a young Chris Paul. And I don't think it's fair to make that comparison, despite his lack of playoff success when it's all said and done. I would argue Chris Ball's a borderline top 30 player ever. But that's the only guy I remember in, in, in my lifetime who came in at the point guard spot and was just this advanced in, in terms of his reads and, and his ability to control a basketball game at, at such a young age. Lev, are you as high on Morant as I am?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm also quite high on him. I think he's put together a very impressive rookie season. You've seen with a lot of these players that come into the league, they're on teams that are rebuilding, and they miss the playoffs for a few straight years in their first few seasons. Obviously, Trey Young is an example of that. I think the Grizzlies are a more talented team than the Hawks, but still the way that Morant has elevated them and energized the whole team uh, to get to the eight seed this year, especially since they were in the fourteen slot, I think, over a month into the season. And so to have the maturity for that team to come together and rise all the way up to the eight seed, I, I think is really impressive. And he's the leader of the team. I think that the team on the court follows him. And for him to lead a team to the playoffs as rookie year, um, very impressive. I, I agree with you, though. The comparison is really tough. Uh, Player-wise, I, I think Trey Young is the one that I'm sort of inclined to make just from sort of a advance from a passing perspective. As a rookie, those two are both very impressive, um, but but I agree he's he's one of a kind.
1: Alex, everyone sort of fixates on the Knicks missing out on Zion, but I I, I don't know if there's quite enough conversation about what Jaw would have meant for the franchise. I think he legitimately changes the whole trajectory of the team relative to a guy like R.J. Barrett, who's, who's very good but isn't in the same category talent-wise. I mean, I think it's easy to to say that he would have been the Knicks' most talented rookie since Patrick Ewing. And the fact that he's a point guard makes it so meaningful, and that's we, we talked about it with Nate a little bit the other day. That's the one position the Knicks have just struggled to find the guy for decades on end now.
2: Yeah, the Grizzlies are kind of a depressing team for me to watch because they have two guys that I very much would have liked to walk out of last year's draft with, and they're both killing it like big time uh, in Morant and Brandon Clark. So yeah, it's uh, I mean, it is what it is. Like ultimately, when I look back on last year's draft, I think to myself like, well, it, it worked out pretty good for the Knicks, all things told, because at least they didn't drop any further. Uh, like some of their contemporaries did, to add you know top three, uh, lotto positions that pretty much dropped as far as they possibly could have. Um, but yeah, it's things still to watch. Like John Morant, I mean, the, the Knicks have been so hungry for a point guard for so long that like, it's you know he he is like just everything you would want out of a point guard. My my main worry with him is that he throws himself around a little too much. Uh, and I worry that maybe he's he's inviting an injury at some point in his career uh, by essentially trying to posterize everything with a pulse. But uh, you know, I, I think that there's nobody more exciting other than maybe Zion. You know, out of this rookie class than Ja Morant and yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess you could say I don't know. They're kind of like neck and neck, to be honest. I mean they they're they're both just such crazy athletes and so talented. And you know, Ja I think has a really complete game for a point guard. Like he's exactly what you would want out of a modern NBA point guard in this, in the sense that he shot really respectable from three, but is also a freak athlete and has fantastic vision and everything else. So yeah, it's uh, it still stings a bit to this day, but I will be watching the Grizzlies. I mean, they've sort of become one of those teams that, you know, if I'm not going to be watching the, watching the Knicks is, you know, a team that I definitely like to keep an eye on because, uh, You know, they do have a really intriguing young core and all that, and and they are very fun to watch. So, yeah, I'll have my eyes on John Moran as well, even if it's a a little bit of a sad exercise. Yeah, I think a lot of people
1: are counting them out against either Portland or New Orleans, whichever one of those teams comes through and and gets to the playing game. But I I think with two chances, I, I kind of I kind of have a gut feeling Memphis is going to find a way to sneak in They're They're really, really tough. And even though the, the makeup of, of their guys is completely different, there's a little bit of that grit and grind DNA still in there. And, and crazy to think, to your point, talking about both of them, that John Zion were at one point on the same AAU team and neither one were considered the best player on that team. Just surreal. The people who got to watch that quite lucky. All right, uh, Lev, who, who's our who's who's the next guy you want to talk about?
3: Before I get to my next guy, I would like to point out is extremely Nixy to have the third pick in a draft with two transcendent players. Yeah, um, but <laughs> but so such is the life of a Knicks fan. Um, yeah, my next guy was Al Horford, which would probably not be most people's first pick for sort of intriguing player on the 76ers. But here's here's the rationale. So the Sixers were very competitive in the playoffs the last two years, um, really going the distance with Toronto last year and then giving Boston a run for its money the year before, and One of their downfalls in the playoffs is that they were, in both seasons, absolutely clobbered in the minutes when Joel Embiid was on the bench, which is a decent amount of minutes given uh, the fact that he is not able to play the full game usually in most of these games. Especially this season, we don't know what kind of condition he's in coming to the bubble. Um, He may be sitting a decent amount. And the Sixers have announced that they're having Horford come off the bench as a backup to Embiid. And so I think that could really alleviate a problem the Sixers have really had in the last two playoffs. I'm not selling any Horford stock, despite the fact that his numbers have been really down this year. When he plays without Embiid this year, he still averages 17, 8, and 5 per 36 minutes, which is right around where he was the past several seasons as an all-star for Boston. Um, So I think that if he was in the right situations, he could come in as a backup and just sort of dominate a second unit in a way that the Sixers have not had a backup for Embiid in the past two postseasons.
1: Alex, do you buy that Philly could potentially be dangerous for Milwaukee in particular because it was it, I sort of got the feeling as as much flack as they took throughout the year. They were sort of gunning for the playoffs the whole season and maybe that's prescribing too much of a master plan to Brett Brown and what's largely been a pretty dysfunctional front office post Sam Hinkie, but the way they really paced Embiid and beat and uh, it was. I was listening to Rachel Nichols on a podcast the other day, and she was talking about how even going back to the preseason, Embiid was saying he wanted to play a lot less games this year and a lot less minutes this year because he, he felt like he, last year he went hard to prove that he could play a full season. And in doing so, he, he was basically out of gas by the playoffs. And, and I don't think people fully appreciate the fact that Philly was not really better than Toronto last year with Embiid on the floor. They absolutely dominated the Raptors in those minutes and Embiid Uh, missed the full game in the series, had games where he could only play like 15 to 20 minutes. I think he was sick. He had a variety of ailments. And and despite all that, they came within one crazy Kawhi Leonard shot of, of taking the Raptors to overtime in game seven. And I guess all that is to say, is there a scenario where Philly, I mean, Milwaukee's so far ahead of everyone else, but Philly sneakily the second best contender to come out of the East. And, and I guess what role does Horford play in that in the sense that they can get 48 minutes of either Embiid or, or Horford guarding Giannis nominally to two of the best guys who have had success against him. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
3: every day.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, the Sixers to me are almost like the uh, the contending version of the joke that everybody made about the Knicks this past offseason about signing too many power forwards and whatever. <laughs> like... It's because now they're talking about Ben Simmons is going to be like he's been practicing and, you know, whatever is the starting power forward rather than point guard, which would be an interesting development. I mean, a lot of people have been advocating like he should be the nominal power forward to start because that's the position that he's best equipped to defend. And, you know, it also it gives you an advantage to have more ball handlers out there and not put it all on him with a whole bunch of other bigs. Um, so I, I'm intrigued by them. I, I don't know necessarily that I think that they're going to be the second best team behind Milwaukee. I still think that probably belongs to the Celtics, unfortunately. Um, although they have their own issues. I mean, I really think, I, I think basically what it comes down to for me with the East is like this year, it's like Milwaukee is at the top. And then, you know, there's, if we were writing this out on Twitter, it would be like, Milwaukee, and then like 20 greater than signs, and then you know, like maybe Philly, or maybe the Celtics, or maybe even the Heat, and then you know, like one greater than sign, the next team, one greater than the next team, and then maybe a bigger drop off after you know, those next three. I think, but it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, Horford, I do agree like with Lev in the sense that like if he becomes just a true backup to Embiid. I think that that's probably the smart way to do it because I just don't think those two can really coexist as we saw this year. Um, You know, it's it's a rough fit to have them both out there at once in a league that's trending smaller. I'm more, I I guess I'm also just kind of intrigued by how they're going to handle. I mean, if Simmons is going to be your de facto power forward, if that's how they decide to go and then you put Shake Milton out there as like your point guard then is Tobias Harris still going to be considered like a three? Because that's another guy that I think is best suited to be out there as more of a four. Um, so it's it's just a weird roster. I mean, if they could find a way to unlock it, that's awesome. Uh, because I think they have a ton of talent. It's just really ill-fitting talent. Um, so it'll be intriguing to see if maybe this time off is given Brett Brown and the team some clarity about how, things should go for the rest of the year and also like to your point if if Embiid and Simmons can stay healthy too um throughout this whole process then that's a game changer too because a a lot of the fact you know a lot of what made them kind of struggle this year and not realize that potential of being one of the like top few teams is the fact that those two had you know a lot of injuries this year as well as Richardson was hurt for a number of games and you know, there's just a lot of injuries going around with that team that kind of made things difficult. So, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I necessarily am willing to slot them in as the number two team. But I think that if they figure it out, there's a real chance they could make some noise.
3: I think with, I think with Philly, the way to look at it is not necessarily just sort of who's going to play the five, who's going to play the four, but sort of players' styles working well together. And I think it's been clear throughout the season that Embiid and Horford don't play well together. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Sixers have actually been outscored in those minutes when they played together, whereas there are plus 10 points per 100 possessions with just Embiid and plus five with just Torford. So if they're basically saying, we're going to just use those minutes uh, where we've been successful and take away these minutes from these lineups where we've been unsuccessful, I think they might might surprise some people.
1: I I think it's always interesting to see the psychology of when you give a guy a big contract and then he doesn't necessarily fit the role you expected of him but there's still a mechanism where he can be productive um how long it takes for teams to be willing to swallow their pride and make that adjustment and, and i think and it, it's i read i, I want to give the guy credit but i forgot who the author was a, a great piece on draft picks and how teams would benefit from trading their bus much earlier than they do like often first round picks get traded near the end of their initial contract when teams nominally know that they're probably not going to be a great player 40 games in to their career so this is a case and i'm not saying the knicks necessarily should have done this because he was a top 10 pick and and showed a lot of flashes his rookie year but kevin knox's value is never higher than when he ripped off like five straight 20 point games or or close to 20 point games as a rookie and at that point they probably could have moved him on for what might have been another top 10 pick in another draft. And arguably at the time, like the city would have burned. But if the Knicks had some internal knowledge saying, hey, I don't think what this guy doing, what this guy's doing is necessarily sustainable. Uh, let's take advantage of how high his value is now. Um, they would have done it. And, and it's basically like a sunk cost fallacy that I, I actually really appreciate Philly, who's been sort of stubborn in a lot of respects in terms of the lineups they played and, and the style that they play. For years and years and years now is actually willing to make the adjustment and recognize the best thing Al Horford can do for us is play 20 minutes a game, 18 of them probably with Embiid on the bench and just take advantage of the fact that we could have a minus to a plus center play for 48 minutes a night. And to me, that's the best version of that team. And I think sneakily makes them a little bit of a contender. I don't really buy that they can beat the Bucks, but I think Embiid is good enough that they would have a puncher's chance in that series. Um, I want to go west to another transcendent talent, and that is Luka Doncic. I'm I'm not sure if we we very famously would say every single episode on this pod about Kevin Knox that he's only 19. Well, Luka Doncic, and I I didn't realize he was this young. He was 20 the whole season. He turned 21 uh, about eight days before the shutdown, and he averaged 29 points, nine rebounds, nine assists per game on good efficiency. And, And that's just, I don't, no people appreciate it enough. He, he's he's quite literally the best 20-year-old in, in NBA history. There's a case for LeBron James, I would argue, that even though LeBron was an arguably better defensively as a youngster, Luca was a little bit more advanced on offense, even though LeBron had semi-similar stats. Um, you, you can talk between those two, but the fact that that's the conversation puts in perspective just how good he was. And at 20 years old, at not even legal drinking age, he was orchestrating what was statistically the best offense in NBA history. They had 117 offensive rating. That means they scored 117 points. Per 100 possessions, he has this incredible de-acceleration. And, and I think, I, I know I brought him up already, but offensively, the LeBron comparison is really fun for me because in some ways they're so different where LeBron is, is probably the best athlete along with someone like Will Chamberlain to ever and Michael Jordan to ever play the sport. But Luka functionally does the same things despite being this pudgy Slovenian kid. And, and it's because his deacceleration. Um, along with James Harden is as good as anyone to ever play the game. Like his start and stop, you'll, you'll see it even with guys like Kawhi Leonard. He, he freezes time and time again, the best defenders in the league, does a little move and then blows right by them. All that is set up by the fact that he's willing to take a ton of threes. And even though he didn't hit them at a super high rate, he, he sneakily only shot slightly better than Giannis from threes granted on, on much more difficult attempts. Um, teams had to respect his shot. And they just had to respect the fact that he could make any pass at any time. And as a 20 year old, basically rivaled what LeBron's doing 17 years into the league as a cross court passer and his ability while being double teamed to just pick out guys 30, 40 feet away in the opposite corner is pretty unparalleled in NBA history from anyone outside of LeBron. So you, you guys can take this wherever you want, but my argument is I, I think he's already one of the five or six best players in basketball, and I think because of that, Dallas is a little bit underrated in terms of their upside in the playoffs. I don't think they're necessarily a title contender, but I think there's a case to be made that they're the third best team in the West.
2: I, uh, I generally watch the Mavs as little as possible. Right. Because they just make <laughs> me angry. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, because there's... Doncic, who you could say the Knicks, you know, if they had lost a couple more games, reasonably could have maybe gotten, uh, you know, potentially, um, which is always disappointing. And then, uh, and then Porzingis, obviously, who I'm well on record as despising. And the fact, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to shout out the fact that their organization still sucks and still, uh, uh, while not endorsing, does not properly address claims of uh, sexual misconduct based off that SI piece yesterday. So, yeah, um, I I don't know. I mean, Doncic, of course, I like watching him play. Uh, It's really a shame to me that he's on the Mavericks and plays with Kristaps Porzingis because I, like, have to hate him by default. (laughs) Um, But I I do find how he plays to be extremely enjoyable. Uh, I do... Agree too that maybe the Mavs are being a little bit overlooked as far as their potential to maybe be an upset pick, uh, somewhere in here, you know, I, I guess it depends on where they end up in the seeding. Like, I don't think if I think currently they're at the seven seed, right. But it's like, they're, they're really in no danger of losing their playoff spot. Like really only the eight seed is up for grabs. Um, I, if they could potentially move up to six, and they get a 3-6 matchup, I could maybe see that being something that's advantageous for them. Um, I don't think that they have, if they somehow end up the eight seed or if they're the seven seed, seed, uh, I don't think they really have a shot against the Clippers or the Lakers if that's where those two end up. Um, which I guess we'll see with that too. That's, that's no sure thing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do think there's a decent chance that no matter who they're playing, they're going to take a couple games off somebody. Um, because I I do think Gavin, to your point, they are really talented. Um, but yeah, a six a six three matchup, would probably match them up with the Nuggets, who I think are fallible. So that would be something that I would want to watch out for. But if it stays as it is and it's a seven two matchup with the Clippers, I, I don't think they have too much of a shot. It definitely could get the
3: the the seven two matchup with the Nuggets too. I think that's still in play, given how bunched yeah. together the the teams are.
2: Um, yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And they
3: have they have beaten some of the top teams too. I mean, I think they they beat LA earlier this season. I mean, the Lakers. That is, and their their net rating, which I think Gavin mentioned, um, is is third in the West uh, in terms of sort of their their margin of victory. So they they possibly are better than their seed would indicate, um, based on some luck factors. There, I, I think that they the big issue with them is is can they get stops in in key moments of the playoffs? They don't have a lot of elite defenders. Uh, Doncic is sort of considered to be a neutral on defense as their best player. Um, I think in the backcourt specifically, they have, they're not quite as sort of solid on defense as a few of the other top teams in the West.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I think they have, they have some scrappers though. That starting lineup was, was pretty good. Uh, It was, it was plus 12 on, on the year and all their guys compete. Dorian Finney Smith, I think is, is legitimately good on defense. Seth Curry is kind of a pest. He's, he's kind of similar to Steph, where teams try to pick on him and they don't always have quite as much success as you think they would. Tim Hardaway, and this'll this'll blow Knicks fans away, was actually pretty good on defense this year. He's by no means elite, but he's decided um in a in a different organization to to start working hard and, and trying on that end. And he has plus athleticism and he's pretty tenacious and focused. So he's not a disaster. And uh, he who shall not be named is a solid rim protector, even though he's not. Very mobile. Some uh, quick stats before we uh, wrap up on Luca. I mentioned the starting lineup was plus five. Him and Hardaway together, and Hardaway about mid-season started shooting the leather off the basketball. Our basketball, basketballs aren't made with leather. Whatever's on a basketball, they started shooting it off. Um, was plus eleven in net rating with those two together and, and the bench. Um, Lord Voldemort with, with four other players was plus twenty two with no Luka Doncic on the floor. So they were they were very very good with a lot of different teams. My big concern with them is lack of depth with no Dwight Powell and no Jalen Brunson. I I think they're not quite deep enough. I I don't know if uh, J.J. Barea can hold up in the playoffs at age 34, but I think they're a sneaky good team. They're very fun, and I think if they play the Lakers or Clippers, they'll put a little bit of a scare into them before losing. All right, one more guy. And this is a person who who some people will consider his inclusion ridiculous. He's more of a meme than a basketball player at points. But I would argue, and this is something I never, ever thought I would say in my life, that he's the third most important player on the Lakers and his health could potentially swing the NBA title. Lev, who's our final guy?
3: Shoot, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna make the, th- I was gonna make the third most important player hot take. Now, my bad, my bad. You, you saved me. You saved me. You saved me from the backlash because now yeah, I don't have to I'll, make it. I'll take it um, for you. It was, it was selfless. But I will say that that five thirty-eights all-encompassing player metric raptor does have him ranked as the third, the third most valuable Laker. So it's, it's not coming out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I think, I think with a lot of playoff teams we've seen recently. Um, it, to take a team that LeBron spearheaded the 2016 Cavs at, at some point in the playoffs you sort of get to a point where it's like okay who are our seven guys that we're, that we're rolling with who, who's playing crunch time you saw with the Raptors last year they basically they basically dwindled their rotation down to seven guys at the end I think the Lakers have kind of plugged in a lot of pieces throughout this season and at some point they're going to have to figure out who their guys are and I think Caruso is one of those guys especially more likely now with some players Avery Bradley Rajon Rondo not being available in the bubble um, and so I think, yeah, third best player, he's, he's around even with Danny Green, I would say Danny Green has some playoff experience. Uh, but Caruso at 6'5 can, can defend not only better, but also much bigger um, and a wider variety of players than Bradley at 6'2 or Rondo can. So that's going to be a huge help for them. I mean, they'll put him on Luka, they'll put him on Harden, depending on if they play those guys. Um, so that's going to be really key to them to beating those teams. And yeah, he's just he's just an important piece. And he's going to be one of those seven guys for the Lakers. Whether or not you think he's a meme.
1: Alex, any, any Caruso thoughts? Is there is there an Alex Alliance on him or or what, what do you think?
2: I have very little thoughts on Alex Caruso. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think I do think he's a useful player. I also think that it's very easy to dislike him from a non Laker perspective just because of the huge deal that like Bleacher Report has turned him into. Um I forget who like Someone put out like a like a, a statistics thing of like how often Alex Caruso got mentioned by Bleacher Report versus like how often like the Bucks' huge winning streak this year got mentioned, and it was like it was like five to one Caruso <laughs> to the Bucks.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So in that respect, I think that he's sort of become bigger than what he is, which is just a good role player. But like, I I do think he's a good role player. I mean, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be like sitting there like glued to my screen watching Alex Caruso. But um, I do think, you know, to left's point, there's a good chance that he could help swing some games for the Lakers. Um, he becomes extra important without Avery Bradley. So uh, there's definitely that as well. I mean, I guess we'll just have to see how things go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him. It, just like I'm looking forward to watching the Lakers, I guess. You know, I I, I want to just, you know, I, I want to see a uh, – a really fun and competitive West playoffs this year. And I think he'll, I mean, he'll help the Lakers with that, certainly, <laughs> I guess. But I don't have any like strong opinions. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's so. It sounds like you're not as excited about him as the
3: hundreds of thousands of people who voted him for fourth in the All Star game voting or something. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm certainly not that excited about Alex <laughs> Russo. I mean, that's the type of crap that I'm talking about where it's like he's become bigger than he is because he's like this balding scrappy white dude player you know and people tend to latch on to players like that i guess but um, i'm I'm always surprised when
1: i go back and watch it that he wasn't in the movie dodgeball he he just seems like he should have been part of globo jim's like backup team or something
2: <laughs> no if um, anything he would have been on the average joe's yeah he? yeah yeah
1: you're right yeah the average he would job. have
2: been like their ringer like he would have been the guy that they would bring in you know like
1: he was this steve the pirate's personal assistant
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like like Global Jim would have looked at him and been like, "Ah, oh, look at this loser. And then he would have like lit them up or something. I don't yeah. know. All right. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, the, the final note, the final serious note on, on Caruso
1: is I'll just say I think he epitomizes where people underrate the Lakers. Because you look up and down the roster, and especially with Bradley, and and on paper, it's it's pretty thin. Like, we were just talking about him or, or Danny Green, who was probably the sixth or seventh best player on Toronto's title team a year ago as being the third guy. And then Dwight, who was pretty much out of the league before this season as, as being in that conversation. JaVale McGee, who was almost out of the league. J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, who were literally out of the league until the pandemic. And and somehow they're still considered the favorite. And obviously it it helps to have probably the best player in the league and the best big man in the league as your your two leaders. But in some sense, it does sort of feel like they fit together a little bit better than the Clippers do. And, And everyone knows their role and they almost benefit from not having crazy, talented role players, and that all these guys are just so committed to sort of sublimating their, sublimating their game under both LeBron and AD. Anyways, on that note, Lev, we got to send you out. Uh, but before we do, can you tell people where they can find your work?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I work now for Sportico, which is a new sports business publication that launched at the very end of June, early July, so about a month ago. And yeah, I'm there uh, occasionally writing, very often making data visualizations to support all our other great writers' work. Uh, And yeah, we're writing about a lot of interesting things, the business implications of the upcoming college football season possibly being canceled, NBA bubble, sort of all sports. We got some NBA stuff in there, too. I'll have an article on it tomorrow. So yeah, that's where you can check it out.
1: Are you you still doing the basketball newsletter?
3: You You mean my
1: personal one? Yeah, 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 your personal one. Yeah, I mean, I I, 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 I have to including... advertise that people can DM you to get that because it's really yeah, I, I, I love I've been reading it for literally years now because I think you've been doing it since I basically since I graduated high school. And I've always yeah, thank you. I've always I really, really appreciate
3: it. it. Yeah, I've, I've actually had it since middle school when I when I had a blog and I just have some list of family, friends, uh, various people on on this email list. So, yeah, you can DM me on Twitter to get to get on that. Now I'm just sort of sharing my Sportico stuff, but there might I'll share this for sure.
1: All right. It, it, it's good stuff. I highly recommend it. Everyone go follow Lev on Twitter at Lev Akabas, L-E-V-A-K-A-B-A-S. Thanks a lot, Lev. Thank you. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free
2: on Amazon Music.